trapped in his own private hell. Nog's lost a leg, and that's a traumatic experience. Nog's final retreat. I don't want to go back to my life. Is into a world of pure fantasy. You want to choose a hollow sweet program for your rehab? Where the only reality... Vic, he can't hide in here forever. ...is his own fear. Nog, what's wrong with you? I said, get out! On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnick, and with me, flying to the moon, are... Rudikas Baker. And Emily Bowen Marler. Welcome to Strange New Takes. We're excited to continue our series recapping episodes of Star Trek stories that originate from the holodeck. Today, we're going to recap the episode, It's Only a Paper Moon, from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I just, every time someone says that title, I just want to be like, no, it's not true. Like Luke Skywalker, <laughs> like holding on to the... <laughs> well, you should, dear listener, follow us on social media if you haven't already. Uh, it's at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, also, tell your friends about our podcast. And if you leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, I will read it out on the pod. What more could you ask for for like five minutes of work? You could write anything there. So far, nobody's really tested me, but I could read out some pretty stark stuff. For example, if you want to say something about Rudy here and uh, leave it in the review, I will have to read it out loud. It's just the deal we made with the devil when we started this podcast. Ouch. Um, That's a good segue into a spoiler warning. Um, But But, um, going uh, going back to this podcast, uh, as always, we talk about um, details um, around a specific episode. Um, today, it's only a paper moon. So if you haven't watched it already, um, do watch it um, and, and then listen to us. If you'd like to jump in with us um, before watching it, that works too. Um, but we will we will spoil this episode for sure and may also spoil other parts of um, Star Trek in general uh, fun uh, television. Yeah, I mean, it's only a paper moon, though, so you can get spoiled. Next week's episode, <laughs> it's a real moon. Oh, no. That one you got to be careful about. Okay, well, we always start our episodes with our strange new takes. So who's got a strange new take for me, Crew? Um, I can start and... My general new take, my general strange new take is I am excited about uh, my evening today because I'm going to be trying out um, a VR experience for the first time. And it's going to be interesting. Um, I think it's called Sandbox VR. And the cool part is one of the experiences is actually tied to Star Trek Discovery. And I am not going to try that one out today. Um, I am hoping... I will get to try that out with you guys sometime in the future when we meet. But uh, yeah, if you, if you have Sandbox VR um, in your city or close by, check it out. Um, they're not helping us in any way, but I'm excited about uh, trying that out. And for this episode, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it's been a while since I watched Deep Space Nine. 
well about a year or so but um uh, there are a lot of powerful characters but it's always heartwarming to uh, to watch uh, Aaron Eisenberg as, as Nog. So. My strange new take is that humidity is just the worst thing ever. I just hate it so much. It makes me so angry and miserable and it ruins everything. And I think I was spoiled by living in California for a lot of my life. I was going to say the majority of my life, but that is not true anymore. I have lived in Springfield longer than I've lived anywhere else. But gosh, it was a lot nicer when the heat was drier. Everyone says that's not true, but it is so true. Oh my gosh, humidity is just the worst. So it's very humid here, in case you couldn't tell. Um, My strange new take for the episode is this is the first time I've seen this episode since... um, Aaron Eisenberg passed away. So that just made it even a little more poignant, I think, when I was watching it. Because I know, I think this was one of his favorite episodes. He really was very proud of um, of what he did on this episode. So it was kind of bittersweet to watch it. Well, bittersweet to watch it anyway. It's a heavy episode. But um, I feel like I should share Adam's um, strange new take. He wasn't here. But pretend that he also talked about chickens. So something about chickens (laughs) and um, then his strange new take for the show is that this has to be a pretty good episode to make me want to sit through a boring setting, listening to music that I don't enjoy. So apparently he is not too into the whole mid-century modern aesthetic, nor um, the music from the early 60s. (laughs) Well, some of us choose to be Philistines. What can I say? But... um... (laughs) Yeah, I uh, I was thinking, I, I wanted to say something about the dude who, like, paid for a trip to space and then couldn't go because he's busy, but I'm, I'm going to let that go. And until I give one of my dad takes, because uh, I had a party last night, we hosted a birthday party, and mm. everybody was like, oh my god, these chicken drummies are unbelievable, well done! And I was like, yeah, you know, I only shop pre-spiced wings from the finest Costco's, <laughs> so... <laughs> The lesson there is just just go to Costco, get a big box of pre-made stuff and just cook it on your grill. Don't don't waste all day doing like your own rub or whatever. It's just not necessary unless you like that sort of thing. But which I sometimes do. But I just lesson learned. You got 50 people or something coming over. Just buy stuff at Costco and cook it Uh, for this episode. Man, it is a heavy episode. The first time I watched it, which was only a couple of months ago, I got completely blown away. And then watching it now brought up a few, because I could focus beyond just the emotional reaction, it brought up a few questions about hologram related things in my mind that the first time I was just too like wrapped in attention to to pay attention to. So it's kind of uh, apropos given what we're going to do today. And uh, I'll talk about it a little bit more when we get there. But let's, uh, let's jump into talking about this episode in depth. And first off, we always read you the Memory Alpha summary because people on Memory Alpha, may, like, you know, they're, they're the real heroes in this for the time they spend writing these summaries. So, in the aftermath of an injury that left him disabled on AR-558, Nog returns to Deep Space Nine but finds he cannot go on living his uncertain life and seek shelter within the fictional world of Wick Fontaine and Las Vegas 1962, which has... And it's just an incredible setting with unbelievably cultured, great music. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. So there. And uh, I'll, let me let me tee off a, a, a our discussion with this trivia bit. 
This episode is unique in Star Trek insofar as it focuses almost entirely on two non-regular characters. This is per memory alpha. Mm-hmm. And cool. it works. It works, it does. right? It um, does. I feel, and, and I actually kind of, um, I, I have the same opinion as, or maybe taste in music. Um, as Adam does, and and I mean, I, I've I've been watching I've been watching Star Trek for the sci-fi stuff for, um, uh, the science of it and and the expansive nature of space, and this was this was very, um, boxed right. It was there was no space in it, and then a lot of it was within a hollow suite, which was again not about, um, exploration. It was a hollow suite, um, a holographic experience of. Um, Vegas Casino. Um, but then on the other hand, um, I, uh, I was brought up as, as a, as a military brat and Air Force brat. So, um, I've, I've been exposed to, um, you know, the various flavors of how one deals with loss, um, um, with, with, uh, emotion, um, around, the hard life that is in the military and, and a lot of that to do with combat. So it, 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 it was an interesting mix for me. And, and I think they, they pulled it off, um, quite well. So, um, I, I, I like that. I like that. I was able to enjoy the episode without an episode of Star Trek that had nothing to do with stars and, and sci-fi. To, to the most extent, I know. I mean, to the most extent in the sense that there is that holographic angle, but yeah. Well, and you know, I was, um, so the way the show opens, I don't know about you all, I felt terrible for Nog because everyone was being so, I mean, just awful. And I know they weren't trying to be awful. They were all trying to deal with, you know, they were trying to, they were all handling him mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel good to be handled. Right. And, um, and I just, I was just thinking about how many times people feel that way or I, I mean, like that comes to my mind, how many people in the disability community feel that way, feel like people are treating them like, like, like they're a toddler, um, and not a full grown adult who just happens to have a disability or happens to have, and I know yeah. there's more than just a disability that's happening with Nog cause he's also struggling with um, PTSD. And I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff that he's working through because this is new and fresh. And, but, um, but like when people are trying to make jokes about things or, you know, like, Oh, you Mm -hmm. bet, you know, it, it better just be, um, a short medical leave or whatever, you know, whatever things they're saying, or, Oh, you better not get too complacent. And I mean, they don't mean that. Of course, of course they don't, but no one knows how to, how to be around him or how to talk with him or, well, they're not asking him anything. They're just talking mm-hmm. at him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say, though, that it's hard all around, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's, in in dealing with suffering and trying to be the right kind of person for somebody else's suffering, it's, it's so complicated, right? And mm-hmm. Nog is not... I mean, every every main character is valued in that DS9 um, uh, crew. But with Nog and Jake, they're kind of the, the kids, right? They're, um, it, it's not like 
O'Brien getting injured, right? And we kind of know that O'Brien will kind of manage it because he has that background in fighting the Maquis and all of that and the Cardassian Wars. But Nog is... And he's he's representing such a transition, right? A transition of being the first Ferengi going through um, Starfleet. And and this is kind of a, a kick in the gut to all of that. And so I actually understand why everybody is there. And it's it's almost like... And we'll, maybe we'll get into this later, but it's almost like whatever happened to Nog after his injury and before he stepped off that transport, so his healing period, physical and emotional, a lot went on there that, and I'm not saying it was not done well and he, he was handed back um, um, as, as as mentally unwell, but um, a lot of that burden and baggage came to the Deep Space Nine crew, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know that... The, they were they were definitely awkward, Samuel. Yeah, I agree. They were definitely awkward mm-hmm. in in calling out stuff like you know these 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 empty jokes that <laughs> really didn't make sense. But the the welcome party and all of that, I I guess they could have checked with him. I don't know, but it was all in good spirit. And and then I don't know th- through through the rest of the episode, outside of you know Ezri Dax herself, everybody else was kind of awkward and on the periphery in, in the script. So. Um, well, into that. Oh, go ahead. You have it. Sorry, I was just gonna say. I mean, this is this is the the that piece. I think shines a light on something very important about this episode, and it also touches on something else you mentioned earlier, Rudy, which is that this episode is not about the science of Star Trek. This this episode is not about sci-fi necessarily. There's some holodeck elements that are relevant, but as I will mention later, we don't really explore those in a kind of Star Trekky way, if that makes sense. Well, it won't, can like talk about it later. But um, so we are left with a script that is incredibly heavy on dialogue. Um, you were saying before we recorded, Rudy, that this is an episode that is okay to listen to because it's so much about the two people talking to one another in many of the scenes. And specifically, it is this episode has to be carried by two non-regular cast members. And Iron Eisenberg and James Darren playing uh, Nog and Vic Fontaine, respectively. Vic Fontaine's been on screen before. He's been appreciated by fans, but we haven't seen him do something this intense. Aaron Eisenberg has had more moments to show his uh, kind of acting caliber, more moments to shine on screen before. We've had some of the, you know, the, the really emotional stuff around him joining Starfleet earlier in DS9. But... I would say this was, I'm not going to say it was a risk because the producers and the uh, directors knew who they were working with, but it was certainly a departure in in how Star Trek has handled um, creating episodes. And I think it works because these two actors are able to really give such deeply emotive performances. Yeah. Um. I will, yeah. sorry, I will, I will also say that I'm going back to the potential awkwardness of the um, uh, the other main characters and, and maybe they were not intended to uh, uh, have that much screen time, but it, it, it's so important to, to have the right people around you and, and be able to, especially when one is suffering and, and trying to recover or trying to figure out what they want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think that's one part that that kind of 
I feel Nog pulls through this himself, right? Like it is his own, he's, he's making sense of his surroundings. It's not like people don't care, but they're sort of, um, even, even with Esri Dax and I am, I am by no means, um, um, even somebody who is reasonably read about things like therapy and, and all of that. But I, I feel that everybody is trying to get him to a state of, are you good yet? Are you good yet? Because we all want to move on and start being normal again. And and that's such a that's such a binary question or a transactional question to ask somebody, right? Um, right. I've felt it myself when I'm recovering. And I've, I've had losses in my life. And people are almost trying to, you know, do, do a check to ensure that they themselves feel okay. And, and that, that's tough. So, and he pulls through himself. Like, I think in the end he says, uh, I'm not, but I will be. And... And I don't know, it's mental health and, and the the support structure around it, even in the 23rd century, it's um, maybe a little lacking. I don't know. I don't know if it's lacking necessarily, because I think what we see is that it's so, I mean, just like you're saying, it's complicated, right? Like it, it's, you don't know, one person might need to be bucked up and like, given a pat on the back and encouraged and they may need that. And Nog, I mean, this is, you know, we're thinking of talking about this episode sequentially. So I'll just jump into saying like in the teaser in act one, Nog really just wants to be left alone. He just needs that time to think about things himself without people trying to be like, you, you know, tell him how he feels or tell him what to do. And I think Ezri is the one who actually comes to like that main conclusion. I think it's, it's in that initial scene when she says that, you know, sometimes we just need people to like, they direct themselves to the solution, right? Like mm -hmm. I think she says that very early on in the episode. And then mm -hmm. towards the end of act one, we have Nog requesting Vic to let him stay um, on the holodeck. And that's his decision. He chooses that this is what I want. And, the rest of the crew, um, I, I don't care what they think. I, I want to be here. And, and so do you think that was inevitable and the right way to go about Nog's healing? Or do you feel that he feels that that is a safe place for him to go because everything outside of it is not quite conducive to his healing? Hard to say, right? Like, I, right. I, I wish I was, a, I was a counseling professional like my partner is or... Uh, we do have another counseling professional sometimes on this show, but unfortunately mm -hmm. he's busy writing his PhD, so he can't be here <laughs> right now. But uh, I think I think it's I think it makes sense in the context of what Nog wants that he chooses to do this because he just wants he wants to be away from people, you know, trying to act all brave and like he feels an inauthenticity in the world around him, right? Like everybody's, you know. And, and it's funny because the most authentic someone is with him is Jake telling him to cut it out. Like, I don't want to listen to this song anymore. Go to the hollow suite. Mm -hmm. And that leads, that authenticity is what leads to the thing that then helps Nog in the end. So I think that is also something to kind of note in what the story, at least, I don't know, again, if it's a good mental health technique, but at least the way the story is written, it's when that one person is real to Nog, it pushes Nog into some action um and and whether he knows it or not towards towards um something that makes him feel better about at least in the short term going to the hall mm -hmm. suite and listening to, to Vic Fontaine sing though I don't think 
I think it was it was fortuitous from Jake's perspective. He didn't think that through. Oh, he yeah, was no. internally no. looking at him being irritated, and that that kind of got me, uh, got me, got me by surprise as well. And if somebody's coming back from a major traumatic injury, you're sharing a room with them. I know, like if somebody plays music for like seventy hours straight, that that's going to bother you. But you'd something must have happened in between. There must have been an attempt to explain nicely or try and talk, and we just see the part where he gets angry, right? And and right. then, uh, and then. I mean, I'm going ahead again, and he, the reverse happens where <laughs> Nog um, swings and swings a fist at him later on. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that cancels out. But I, I I still found it. Maybe I'm being too sensitive to Nog's emotions. I don't know. Jake's a teenager, isn't he? Uh, at this point, he might be. He maybe he still is. I'm trying to think how old he's supposed to be at the beginning of the show. Because if he was like 13 at the beginning of the show, he could potentially be 20. Yep, he's still so young, though. He's born in 2355, and this episode takes place in 2375. 20, yeah. I mean, that's impulsive. Yeah, but Emily, you, yeah. you were about to say something when I jumped in Well, there. no, I was going to say that... Um, so with... Uh, I, I'm curious. I, I don't think they tell us how long that first act is. Like, how many days? Mm. How many days has mm. Nog been laying in bed? We hear that he's been laying in bed... He's sleeping 18 hours a day. Yeah, yeah. And he's just listening to this song over and over again. Um, so we don't know how, I mean, gosh, it could be that Jake has listened to this song for two weeks on end. And he's just like, okay, dude, like this is not, you are not going to get better if this is what you're doing. Like this, this isn't going to be conducive to, um, to good mental health or anything, you know? So, mm-hmm. but we don't know that they don't tell us that. But then I was thinking with, um, some, some, there is an authentic thing that gets revealed in that, uh, confrontation scene that takes place later. I know we're jumping ahead, but, um, when he punches Jake, um, one of the things that kind of spurns it is I, we find out that, that something that Jake is really not Jake, that Nog is really struggling with, is the fact that people are calling him a hero because he doesn't feel like mm-hmm. a hero. Um, and and I think that um, that's just been placed upon him. And and it's so incongruous with how he feels about himself um, that any that anyone talking like that is that's you know, that's kind of what what spurns. I think I don't think it's because she's looking at his leg. I think the whole confrontation comes because he just can't deal with either an expectation that people have placed on him as it, cause mm-hmm. there aren't expectations when you're a hero or just the guilt that he feels for this, this, um, you know, honor that's being placed upon him that he does not feel he deserves. And I mean, it's, it's, this is like, the, there's, there's a lot of movies that came out in the wake of the Iraq war that feature characters with very similar emotions. And I would probably guess that the, I haven't watched this genre as much, but there are probably some movies after Vietnam where there's mm-hmm. stuff like this as well. So the, it's processing a lot of um, emotions from that have come up in at least in American media uh, in, in the past and, and after this was also made. Now, let's 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 keep moving because i uh, as much as good as this discussion is we do need to get to the end of the episode one of these days <laughs> um and i as fortuitous as it is that nog get uh, that, that a sequence of events occurs that gets nog into vic fontaine's hands it's 
Vic seems to have a plan, like, going in. He's, mm-hmm. he, he tells Ezri, like, I got a plan to, to get him off the stick. And um, it's... it's uh, do you think he actually had a plan, or do you think he was just overconfident? I uh, That's actually one of the most intriguing parts of the episode. I have two questions there. One is, did he really have a plan? And then when Ezri starts digging in later on around oh, how good your plan is, is she doing uh-huh. that consciously? Or does she truly believe that that is his, like, is she is she nudging him because she knows he doesn't have a plan? Or does she really think he has a plan and it's just, again, fortuitous that they just have that conversation? I think it's twofold. I think he does have a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he wants to get, I, I think his plan is to get Nog focused on something else. Because fairly early on, he starts talking about the books. And he must have some knowledge of Ferengi um, interest in money uh, because just to be talking about that in front of Nog just seemed fortuitous, obviously. That's what, you know, I mean, that's, it does feel that way. You know, it feels mm-hmm. like, oh, he's talking about this one thing that's going to intrigue a Ferengi. But so I think he does have some um, some idea that that he can do things that are going to get Nog out of his head and get him focused on something else and that that could um, cause if you get, cause Ezri says to him that his dependence on the cane is psychological. It is not a physical need, even though he says he feels physical pain. But I also want to say, if he feels physical pain, let him take drugs. Like, like to, mm. to some extent, I feel like, or, or something like you don't need to give him like crazy drugs so that he ends up having an addiction problem on top of things. But I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like somehow the withholding, I don't know if that was necessarily helpful, the withholding of any sort of pain medication for him. But um, because you also, I I mean, really, can can another person really truly know whether or not someone else is feeling pain? You know, like that just feels, anyway. So, um, but she says it's a psychological need, not a physical one. And so um, if you can get Nog out of his head, then he probably won't even realize when he stops depending on the cane because that's not, you know, so I think he does have a plan in that regard. I think he didn't have a plan beyond that because, well, and I don't know if there's something I should say for the end or not, but I think that Nog did as much for Vic as Vic did for Nog. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think Vic, I think once the plans started to unfold and Nog was doing better, that, that was his only plan. I don't think he had a plan for getting him back into his real life necessarily like he wasn't and and i think esri knew that and so she started saying oh i see what you're doing you know you're just you're just using this as a and i think it started out that way but then i think vic started to enjoy his company so much that he he stopped following along that path so i think esri was kind of using that re, not reverse psychology but you know she was doing some of her counseling tricks <laughs> to kind of get mean, him to realize uh oh yeah i really do need to get nog back out into the real it's, it's a classic like safe face sort of situation mm-hmm. right like pretend it's it's the other person's ideas that, that everybody's like i i know you know that i wasn't doing that but i'm gonna let it be this like joint acknowledged fiction between us that you know uh that 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 this that it was all it was the plan all along just so we can both like get on with it um it's i think it's it's really interesting also that vic is the first person who allows nog to direct nog's path 
right as well like he's he's subtly like adding a few things but like he doesn't he doesn't like give him the books and say like you're a ferengi you should know how this works mm -hmm. he just like talks about the books and then when mm -hmm. nog expresses an interest he's like here okay here you go mm -hmm. he 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 asks nog like okay what do you want to hear next i did this i just did 15 versions of that song what do you want me to do you want me to do it again and nog's like nah it's okay and then Vic is like all right i was, I was actually truth be told i didn't want to do that either Mm -hmm. But he is the first person in this episode who isn't telling Nog what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, or or uh, maybe Esri, that's a little harsh on Esri, but I think um, because of maybe her role in Starfleet, which is telling Nog what to do, she kind of gets lumped into those, you know, folks who are kind of boxing him in. So Vic has that essential role in Nog. So even if the plan, whether it, it's, it's a plan or not, Vic is the only person who's letting Nog be Nog. Mm -hmm. He's letting him direct his own healing and recovery in a way. Right. I think he. I think he's kind of laying things down for him, in right. you know, on the chance that he'll pick him up, but um, but he's not going to demand that Nog do the things that he still leaves it up to Nog. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I think that's interesting because Vic doesn't have. I mean, outside of saying telling Nog, you know, leave. Mm -hmm. Vic's okay to have Nog around because he doesn't have the the uh, burdens of a real human, let's say like Bashir or whoever. Um, in he 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 can enable Nog in a safe space, right? And yeah. that is his safe space. I actually I actually think this since this whole series is about uh, holograms, I also got caught in between where you know when Vic realizes or is nudged around, this is not really real, it's almost a little self-deprecating, right? Like, hey, you need to go out in the real world because I'm not real, none of this is real. But but I felt a little bad there. Like, mm. um, you know what I mean, right? If like, you stay here, you'll become as hollow as I am. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. So was that all fake, his excitement around, you know, breaking ground in a new casino and all of that. And how does that tie to general hologram um, self sen so, I mean, sentience and all of that? All right. Uh, this is the moment at which I'm going to jump in and tell oh, you okay. what I was Sorry. referring to. <laughs> my strange new take, which is, uh, no, I was, I was just seeing like when would the right time be to, to talk about this and it's now, which is that I think this episode fails Vic Fontaine. Yeah. I think there's a lot of very serious stuff that Vic is talking about that, you know, we talked about last week, kind of an author, author in some detail. And Vic is just starting to like realize those things like, oh man, there's, there's this whole life out here. It's the first time I've been on for more than six hours. You know, there's all this stuff, this, this dialogue with Ezri about, you're not a human, you're just a hologram. And like, there's dialogue about how Vic's program is a little bit different. And I think the writers wanted to go there maybe, but they just didn't stick the landing. And we don't get, we get a lot of great stuff about Nog and PTSD and, and recovering and, and recovering your mental health. But we get so little processing of how Vic is feeling and how the, there's some really difficult questions out there about Vic. Because, I mean, just think about it. When he when Nog walks in the first time, Vic is like, hey, I'm Vic. And Nog says, like, yeah, I'm Nog. And he's like, yeah, you're Rom's son, right? Julian told me about you. So he remembers stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, clearly. I mean, that to me, again, is like, that's an ethical question right there. Like, a hologram remembering things? Is that okay? 
you know? So here is where this was actually my big takeaway from this episode. Um, it kind of comes out in the scene where um, Vic is actually singing. It's only a paper moon. Is that the name mm-hmm. of the song? Is the yeah. song called it's only a paper yep. moon? Yeah. Um, so I put some of the lyrics in here. Say it's only a paper moon sailing over a cardboard sea, but it wouldn't be make believe if you believed in me. Mm. Yes. It's only a canvas sky hanging over a muslin tree, but it wouldn't be make believe if you believed in me. And I think this episode is about Vic believing in Nog and Nog believing in Vic. And because the two of them believed in each other and believed in their capacity to be more than Mm -hmm. they were manifesting in that moment when they first met, um, both people were able to grow tremendously through the time that they had together. And so, you know, Vic... Like Vic said, um, it's because of the time that we've spent together that I realized what I would be denying you if I just let you stay here for the rest of time. You know, like I, I see now that there is a real life and what you could have, but what you would have now. But it also seems to me that Vic was experiencing satisfaction in the life that he was discovering in the holodeck program. Um, because those were things that pertain to what his interests were and what, his, you know, I mean, granted, mm-hmm. he, his interest that he was, you know, created to be about. But um, so uh, but that those wouldn't really nurture Nog's interests or Nog's um, mm-hmm. uh, growth. And so that's why he feels Nog needs to go back out into the quote unquote real world. But I don't I feel like he had to in some ways he did have to be at least the way he felt, he felt he needed to be self-deprecating both to, you know, himself and to the world he was living in in order to get Nog to leave. But it didn't mean that he necessarily thought those things about himself or the world he was living in, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But um, that just really went that it was when that song was being sung, I just thought, oh, this is kind of cool. Like this, this is, this is not just a story about Nog's healing. This is also a story about, about Vic's growth and Vic getting a chance to discover something and the gift that that Nog gives him in return is you never have to be turned off again like you you get to be your program is going to run all the time so you can continue living this life that you've discovered yeah hey I'm gonna I just noticed the time I think we should take a quick break here we'll come back and talk more about Vic Fontaine thank you take five fellas okay kid I know 15 different arrangements of that song. You've heard them all. Now, which one's your favorite? First. (laughs) Somehow, I knew you were going to say that. So let me guess. Julian played it for you, right? Right. If I had him as a publicist, I'd be bigger than Elvis. Ooh. Never mind. So, how's the new leg? You know about that? People talk. If you really want to know, it hurts. Can they give you something for that? No. They say it's all in my head. According to my tricorder, the pain receptors in your leg aren't being stimulated, Nog. You must be imagining it. I don't care what they say. It hurts all the time. I believe you. You're the only one. So what else can I do for you? Sing it again? No. Good. To tell you the truth, I was starting to get a little sick of it myself. 
How about something else? No. Just want to go to bed. Okay, kid. Catch you later, huh? Yeah. Something wrong? I don't want to go back to my quarters. Actually, I don't want to go back to my life. Vic? Where do you live? Uh, in the program, I mean. Do you have a house or... I have a suite here in the hotel. Do you have an extra room? Sure. You want to stay with me tonight? Maybe more than just tonight. Officially, I'm on medical leave, and according to regulations, I can choose my rehabilitation facility. You want to choose a hollow suite program for your rehab? Why not? Okay, kid. That's the way you want it? From now on, you're staying with me. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're talking about holographic rights. Uh, was it photons be free? Was, was that the... Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So, um... You think Vic watched the doctor's holo program and uh, got upset? Not yet, because it wouldn't have happened yet. Right, right. But, <laughs> but later on, do you think he? <laughs> we go back to Deep Space Nine, and it's like, "Where's Vic?" Uh, he just left. <laughs> like, you know, he got mad at us. D does Vic ever um, materialize outside of a holo suite in Deep Space Nine? Um, interacting with surroundings that are not Vegas 1962. He, um, when I think in the first episode where he's introduced and I was fortunate enough to just listen to the mission log episode that's about this. So that's why it's fresh in my mind. Mm -hmm. I think in the first episode where he's introduced, he calls, he doesn't, he, he doesn't exist outside of the holodeck or holosuite, but he calls Odo from the holosuite ah, while yeah. Odo's in his office um, and tells him to come to the Hollow Suite for some reason, but he's able to contact people outside of the Hollow Suite. And, and the reason I'm asking this is, I think the Doctor in Voyager, um, mm -hmm. or, or Gordy Image, he has a very different perspective of how people treat and interact with the hologram versus holograms who are very. Um, got behold to experiences built for them right so i if 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 vic and the doctor ever spoke i don't know if vic would would feel bad maybe he wouldn't but the reason the doctor can push so much in terms of um the gap in rights and and the lack of equity there is because of that 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 non cubbyhole experience, right? He's dealing with humans, so, and I come from that perspective as well. When I look at Vic, and I'm like, I still didn't, I, I still felt that there was a lot of deprecation of the Vegas um, experience. I don't know if it could have been handled differently, but mm -hmm. it was almost like a snap response to get to get Nog out, and I don't know. It it was almost at the cost of. Um, Vic's self-determination. Yeah, that, I think that's the troubling thing at the end is Vic doesn't get something that he's excited about with the casino. Uh, but do you think maybe he does? 
I mean, because they're able could. to keep his program. I mean, that could, it could be that he does continue development with that because Nog got it to work out that he's, his program can stay on 26 hours a day. <laughs> 26 hours. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's po- certainly possible. I just, I feel like, I feel like we didn't get to feel those emotions. We got the mm. like easy out, you know, we got, we got the like Nog coming back in resolving things very quickly we didn't get the sense of Vic being like hey uh can we can 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 we do something that helps me as well like it was Nog that had to help Vic out of his own like goodness of his heart rather than Vic getting to be like actually I have some needs as well you know what I'm saying Mm. Uh, also what does Vic Vic really want right like Mm -hmm. him him being happy in in breaking ground in a new casino and continuously singing in that environment could possibly what be whatever he wants for the rest of his existence, right? Uh, because again, he is cubbyhole there. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't care to engage and exist in the twenty third century, right? And and rights are very contextual to your environment, right? Um, if you're happy in your environment, and to Emily's point, he could be happy in his environment, so. It's almost like it's not apples to apples and you're comparing Vic's, um, uh, protecting Vic's rights and needs versus other holographic beings that are not cubbyholed in an environment. Yeah. Okay. Is, um, I think Ed, the, the thing that still troubles me though that I'm unable to get over is, is the Ezri-Vic conversation. I felt like I mean, we talked a little bit about the reverse psychology aspect of it, but I also think she's very dismissive of Vic's needs, if that makes mm. sense. Because she doesn't see him as any more than... Yeah. And I think that was... I think they really showed a contrast between... I think, well, actually, Esri... The the way they show the contrast is between the characters of Esri and the character of Nog. Mm-hmm. Because Esri does not see him as anything more than a holographic program, like, you know, with self-determination or any of that. But Nog does see him as more than that. And Nog even says so. I can't remember. I think he even says, I believe in you. Or I be- I can't remember how mm-hmm. what he says to him exactly. But he makes some comment like that in that the final scene where they're... Or I guess it's not the final scene. But it's the one when Nog completely breaks down. Um, and he's talking to Vic about like how he... Like, I don't... You know, I don't think... I, I think you're real. Like, I don't... I can't remember exactly what it was he said. But Is it the one where he's like, he's afraid to go back out because... yeah. You know, anything can happen and there's no controlling your future. That one, right? Now, since you brought that up, I want to maybe take us in a slightly different direction. But I do feel like that's one area where I think if this episode was made today, we would have a slightly different way of getting to that point where Nog realizes those things instead of saying them out loud to Vic. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that was very much like, uh, you know, we need to establish this. And who's going to say these lines? Well, let's have Nog say these lines. But Nog mm-hmm. being so self-aware, I think, pushes credulity just a little bit. During the scene when he has the breakdown? Well, when he's talking to Vic and saying, like, I don't want to go out there. Like, right before Vic ends the program where he says, like, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to go there because I, the, the real world, people get their legs blown off. And mm-hmm. I forget exactly what the dialogue is, but essentially he he diagnoses himself very well 
like, uh, and and I feel like there could have been like if, if this was written today, we would not see that. But I think in the nineties, this was very much one of those like, you know, the TV show telling you exactly what what's mm-hmm. going on, so we can get to the next thing. That makes sense. Yeah, and there's so much on his like on on Nog's shoulders that that takes me to something else. Um, group therapy or group conversations it doesn't come up anywhere throughout where Nog, and I, I again I can't speak to when it can help and when it's you know not going to help. But the other Nogs, the other people who are young and have have been maimed in in different ways. There's 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 nobody around Nog, including Vic, who understands what he's going through. And they don't bring that up at all, right? Um, obviously, it's additional investment in, in production and separate characters and whatnot. But mm-hmm. um, putting Nog with other people who have gone through, because this is an all-out galactic war, like a whole quadrant is at war, a couple of quadrants are at war. There's, there's like thousands of people like Nog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're talking about PTSD... Um, what do you guys think about the group therapy angle or sharing stories with somebody who you can trust because you kind of feel that they're coming from a place where you're actually in right now? Well, and surely there are people that have been in similar situations to Nog. You know, I mean, almost the way it gets played, you kind of touched on this at the, at the beginning, Rudy, but the way it gets played, it's almost like, you know, this the the one person of the regular recurring characters, including the um, main, the main lead characters to have a serious debilitating injury is the kid, you know, I mean, is the one who is, he's like seen as a kid, he gets excited. He joins Starfleet. And when he joins Starfleet, they happen to be in an all out intergalactic war, not intergalactic. I guess it's in. Yeah. Inter. That means in the same galaxy. Yeah. So they're in a big war and, um, and it's horrifying to all of the people who are regulars on the show that the one who's facing this kind of an injury is the kid, you know? So like, there's mm-hmm. like the added tragedy laid on top of it. Um, you know, like, so in some ways I'm not survivor's guilt, but you kind of wonder if there's some of that, um, going on with people, but there, I mean, they, there surely are other characters behind the scenes that we don't see all the time that would be able to be like, yeah, you know what? I've, I've, you know, had this debilitating injury or I had, you know, I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead, Rudy. I was saying, and maybe it's my biased view on, on what has been fed to me over the years through television and movies where a lot of the recovery process is tied to seeing other people who are suffering like you, either in a, in a, uh, rehabilitation center and when, when you're trying to get out of the mm-hmm. like get get back to a normal situation but then you realize that people accept um uh, accept their new situation as normality and the, the the recovery is more about being okay with your new normal right adjusting and adjusting and nobody who is not in that situation, they can't explain it to you. They can never teach it to you. It has to be somebody who is who has experienced it. Um, and yeah, so I, I didn't I didn't see that there. I forget. Um, th- there's a movie um, that's recently come out. I think it's called The Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. It's about um, 
I'm not going to spoil it. It's about a debilitation and a person not being able to accept that debilitation. And um, again, it's the way it works is you kind of interact with other people who tell you that you are, you're not going to get okay. You're going to accept your new normal and, and, and live with it. And, and so that's, that's not really covered here. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at that and see if you guys have um, other thoughts there. I have a slightly connected point, but I'll get to that later. I mean, it's it's interesting because I feel like Star Trek has kind of taken away the horror of what happened to Nog in some ways by giving him a, a fresh leg that's exactly like his previous leg. Yeah, that's what and I was so, going to get to. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. so Nog, Nog doesn't have to like... I mean, in some way, it's kind of a sanitized version of a war injury, right? Like, I mean, this mm-hmm. is Star Trek, so we, we don't get... 90s track where things are a little bit more vanilla maybe than they would be if it was discovery and discovery like nog would not get that second leg nog would probably get killed um <laughs> and <laughs> like it's you know what happened to area basically would happen to nog and we wouldn't get that kind of clean thing of like oh you had a war injury in this one episode but you know what it's not going to leave you with any like completely lasting damage we're going to give you in in many ways the fact that this episode even happens is very shocking and and kind of not in keeping with what trek had been doing at this time in many ways um so although not in keep not out of step with deep space nine i feel like it's it's one of those things where it's not like where you're not we're shocked maybe but you're not surprised like this is this Mm. is this is a perfectly normal progression for deep space nine but i do feel like in previous track, you know, I feel like Nog in the next episode just looking happy and jumping around on his new leg. You would just feel like, oh, okay, that, yep, that's Star Trek. I can accept that. But in this episode, despite dealing with the harsh mental health stuff, we don't get to deal with the physical ramifications in a real way. We get the psychosomatic pain, but we don't get real consequences for Nog's injury. And I think that that... It makes sense, you know. In the future, it makes sense. Well, n- not to me. It's kind of. I feel it's kind of glazed over, right? It's like over three centuries, um, humanity has taken great leaps in solving for the biomechanical side of this. Uh, but it, but but the view in shooting this episode in the nineties is that the same emotional um, gaps in healing are going to exist in the twenty third century. I would. I would have to believe that that's also solved for a little bit, right? Like mm-hmm. Nog is acting like a, a person who is, and as you said, Nog, we've come a long way now. It's been uh, a long road. <laughs> oh gosh. Getting from there to here. Yeah. It's been yeah. a long time. Arr, arr, arr. But my time is fine. Okay, sorry, I'm not big. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying that even from the 90s to where we are now, we've, we've, um, I'm not going to say we've come a long way. I'll trigger you again, but <laughs> you just uh, a lot of, <laughs> we've made progress. Let me leave it at that. We've made progress. So if you extrapolate that to, to 10 times more, 300 years or whatnot, right? Two, 300 years. Um, I think there's, there's got to be, there's got to be developments where people are, you know, because you get you're getting your physical ability back. That's what we're assuming here: complete physical ability, maybe even yeah. some sort of a enhanced bionic ability. So, 
just just dealing with the emotional gap you can't deal with it like a separate thing right it's tied to your mm-hmm. physical debilitation right I don't think this covers it and, and and maybe that's because it was written in the 90s. What do you think Emily? Well, I mean I w- I was thinking I'm mean, just thinking about the um they've been able to gloss over so many things in Star Trek because of the medical advancements that have happened. And so it's actually interesting that they decided to dig down in this yeah. episode. Um, to take a look at this because they really they really haven't had to so much as far as I mean like it seems whether you get a brand new leg that's just like your old leg or not you still were in a battle you still were Mm. watching people around you die you still were so Mm -hmm. so there's um, more than just the fact that well you know you lost your leg and your new leg is exactly the same but there's still other stuff that's going on and and it can just be manifested in the fact that he knows Mm. that this leg isn't his um you know original leg that was his first active deployment on the ground right like I, i guess he was in combat on the defiant before yeah i was gonna say i feel like the other times where he was on the defiant not necessarily this is that episode when he and jake are on the defiant with that like cadet crew or it's the it's the it's the defiant sister ship where the those cadets are like sao paulo or the something yeah where the the cadets are like taking on the the um dominion on their own because all their like senior officers are dead and they're on a suicide mission basically yeah. Um, so they, they they have seen combat before, but this is yeah certainly. I mean, it's a it's a pivotal moment. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the conclusion with Vic kind of taking charge and saying like, "All right, buddy, you gotta go." And that tough love aspect. Uh, again, none of us are counselors. We can't talk about when tough love may or may not actually be part of a therapeutic plan, whether it's appropriate or not. I don't. I don't know. I could I could have no idea in this episode again just we can we can't talk about the writers want us to think which is that at the very end Nog needs a little gentle shove um, to continue his recovery and the leaving behind the cane is kind of this poignant thing like he scrambles for a bit it's kind of it's kind of the the stages of denial right like he's like working through like trying to fix the the matrix and he's like oh, I'll get you back online and then he's like oh okay I gotta accept after the conversation with Vic. I feel like this was a big theme in like the 80s and 90s, having the story of the person who was wheelchair bound, but they didn't really need to be wheelchair bound. And there needed to have be some sort of thing that spurned them to feel like they were the only one that could help and go to save somebody. And, oh, look, they don't need the wheelchair anymore. Like I feel like that was in a lot of stories mm. um, in that time period. I don't know. Like a binary transition, right? Like a point where all is known and you're you're out of it. And then all of a sudden they don't need that anymore. And it's just, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, 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 I couldn't digest it, right? Like it didn't, didn't work for me. Um, I, I think the, the aspect of the cane is important though, because, um, and I, I never, I never really cared to really see if, Vic had a plan, but now you guys, since you've mentioned it, right, with the books and all, I actually didn't catch that as B. I was like, okay, that's a coincidence. Uh, but when you tie it to the cane and you, you think about how it kind of looks like the Grand Negus's cane, right, with that big yeah. head. So you can you can definitely see, a, you know, possibility when it's all planned out. And I think the key there is getting 
getting knocked to a stage where he's he's excited enough about something that he is not continuously focusing on what he has lost or how the world looks at him and when he when he's at the new casino the, he just runs up the stairs somebody like i think vic says he runs up the stairs without the cane that's i think that's actually the pivotal moment of of the episode where you know that he's there's some there's evidence that he can do it without the cane and then that that that's probably what makes the sh- the soft nudge maybe a little less glaring right like well and they show him not using the cane earlier like there's the scene where Ezri kind of observes him as he's talking to some people at the bar that he's talking with his hands and he's standing with equal weight on both legs and he so she kind of notices i think mm-hmm. it's Ezri that notices he's not yeah. using the cane um well i also i feel like it could be um I mean, it could be that Nog knew Nog didn't accidentally leave the cane. I mean, it could be that Nog knew what Vic was saying was right at that point. And so that's why he walked off the hollow suite without the cane. Like he just, he knew that he didn't need it anymore. It makes sense because he clarifies that the reason that he was in was not because he was afraid of people seeing him with the cane and like, looking at him as a lesser person, it was just that he was afraid of the dangers of the real world. Not just, that's a big, big worry. So it wasn't so much the cane. Um, the cane was just some sort of an emotional crutch for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think, I think he knew, he knew that, the, that he was, he didn't need the cane. Yeah. Um, I think, I think there's one of those things where, it was it was also the you know he recognized what he was seeing as Vic recognized that what he was seeing in terms of what life can be like. We talked about this earlier and and the, so even that came together and in a moment where he realized Nog needed to leave. Um, I wanted to ask about a, a slightly more difficult topic, which is that this is this was Iron Eisenberg's one of his favorite episodes. Iron Eisenberg passed away a couple of years ago. And I don't know, how did y'all feel watching this episode given that context um, of his passing very recently? It, it's definitely something that, um, I know Emily, you mentioned it, and I it came to me while watching the episode. And so that, that drove me to do a little bit of um, high-level reading. And um, I'm going to try and paraphrase and, and recount the specifics Um with the utmost respect, it seems like Aaron Eisenberg always had um, a ki- kidney issue, almost like a congenital kidney issue. He got his first kidney transplant when he was, you know, 14, 15 or something like in his teens, um, a cadaver kidney. And then for a long time, um, 30 plus years, he was on that kidney and then it it gave away... Um, recently i think five six years ago and so he's 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 gone through um and again when he passed away a couple of years ago I, I believe it had nothing to do with his kidney it was a completely different thing um but um he's gone through that process of um seeing people around him being able to do more and and him running on a 
on a lower gear. He actually mentioned in an interview somewhere, like having being on dialysis versus having a kidney that works or having a proper functional kidney or two functional kidneys uh, is like driving a Ford Pinto versus a Ferrari. He, he, I think he made that association. So, um, and he also said that, um, he, I've developed, developed a sense of patience, um, uh, in, 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 dealing with what life has to give me and there's only one there's only one way to go and that is forward and i think this was before his uh, second transplant and there's there's actually a heartwarming story around where he got that kidney from i think it was uh, his neighbor from like his childhood neighbor and uh, reached out on facebook and they happened to be a match it's it's all it's again extremely mm-hmm. fortuitous but um, so he's been in it and and that made that when I read through all of it, it made me um, feel so much more um, grounded in the episode, and it was extremely poignant. Yeah, it's 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 tough, I think, knowing how much pain his death caused among uh, DS Nine folks. For me to, in in some ways, to have to to, to watch uh, an episode where he is portraying someone with so much pain as well Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that that kind of congruency but at the same time it's also nice to be able to reflect on how what a powerful um piece of acting he was able to do in this episode as well yeah it just makes me think about how um uh that we were talking about the characters kind of feeling a um a, a deeper sense of tragedy or grief over what's happened to nog because he is so young and I think it's the same thing. I think the cast probably had an experience like that too, because um, Rene Aubergenois died shortly after that. Um, and it, I mean, not that obviously they were sad that he passed away too, but it's mm-hmm. a different thing when you have someone in their seventies pass away as opposed to someone who's 50, you know, like it's just yeah. a different, especially uh, with the, I mean, it was, it was totally a shock that Aaron died. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like he was sick for a long time. He went into the hospital on Friday and I think died on Saturday. Like it was a really, it was a really fast thing. Um, so, but I think also just that, I think there was just the heaviness of it being him being so young. Um, you don't expect one of the younger cast members to be among the first to die, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. On a side note, I mean, one of, you know, I've been watching Babylon five uh, recently, and that cast is one that has been just decimated by deaths among mm-hmm. them. It's it's kind of I mean it's I don't know what the right word is. It's really troubling how many of them have passed since the years mm-hmm. since that show was made. And it, Babylon mm-hmm. five started right when DS nine was, so you can compare mm-hmm. the two in some mm-hmm. ways. And it's just it's um, it's pretty shocking, but. Um, let's, let's move on to giving this episode a rating. We always have our strange new ratings and, uh, it's only a paper moon. What do y'all have? Who wants to stick their neck out and give this episode a rating? I'll, I'll, I'll stick my neck out. Um, I will give it, um, I'll give it nine, um, lion head gains out of 10. Um, (laughs) I was actually going to give it a slightly lower score because I felt they were um, not able to deliver the. Uh, I think they took they they consciously the writers consciously chose PTSD over holographic rights and it didn't quite balance out well, um, but there were so many other 
I, I think what's what's even deeper is it's the point that you made, Emily, where, you know, um, um, the death happened afterwards. But even when the episode was shot, I don't know how many people knew about Nog's um, kidney situation. I am willing to believe that at least some of them did, which made all their exp- all their um, acts and their, the whole act so much more real because they were actually dealing with a, with a character who was suffering for a long time with a disease um, and um, yeah so so that grounds it in much more reality the the his acting their acting um, I would like to believe that they had some idea of his his, his um, kidney situation so nine out of ten I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm, give, oh go ahead go. Emily go, go, oh, go, go, go no I was gonna, I was gonna give it a 4.5 out of five I just think it's a strong <laughs> episode so it's the same. Yeah. Uh, score essentially but I just think it's a strong episode and it's um, I think it uh, it's um, it stands up like you can it's another one of those episodes you can watch kind of you know it's it's I mean obviously it has a context in a previous episode but you don't necessarily have to have watched that previous episode to be able to understand what's going on and um, and I just really like the relationship that develops between um, Nog and Vic I just think it's I think it's special. So it really is. It really is. I mean, those two actors. I mean, we talked about it at the very beginning, but they carry this episode so well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a little bit more to say, but I'll give this my rating first. Nine out of ten. I think many of the same reasons that Rudy elaborated, which is that I wanted to see some some more about the holographic stuff, which is why I can't give it a perfect score. But it is excellent. Um, but just yeah, just some appreciation for James Darren, real quick. Uh, dude is a tour de force as Vic Fontaine. He is caring. Um, he comes across as non kind of, you're never doubting that he's actually maybe a bad guy or that he's going to do the wrong thing. Like he always means well, he's a sweet person. Like it's just, I, I just like that. There's a character like Vic on the show. Yeah. Like I said this before we started recording, but he calls Esri Dollface. And normally I'd be like, gross, what are you doing? But I totally didn't have an issue with it. I was like, you know, he just, mm. he, cause he doesn't come across as smarmy. He doesn't come across as, you know, anyway. It's, I, I think, well, I mean, I, at this point, maybe it is worth mentioning that again, we're back in the sixties and we're not dealing with any of the tough questions that aren't raised in the sixties at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I can't remember which episode. There's an episode where Cisco comments on that. I can't remember which episode okay. it is. Yeah. He doesn't like going into the program. He's like, I wouldn't have been welcome in the in a casino in Las Vegas in 1962. So I don't feel comfortable going into that holodeck program. So something to that effect. Yeah, and, and kudos to DS9 for actually dealing with that, uh, even if it's in a different episode. Uh, well, speaking of episodes, though, we've got to pick the next one, and. Yeah. Um, uh, the only person who has nominated episodes is me. So <laughs> I had another one that I was going to nominate, but it's the same. It's the same series that we just watched. Uh, well, I, uh, how about Fair Haven from a Void? <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the Irish town with Janeway. Because the other one I was thinking of, that's a fun one. Totally different kind of feeling, and maybe it would be nice to do, but it's also Deep Space Nine, is Take Me Out to the Hall of Sweet. That's just a fun episode. So, you know, and it's it's pretty... Anyway, but it's another hologram. But it might be... A, it's a totally different type of hologram program. Let's do Hollow Pursuits from TNG. It's a Barkley episode, so it's got a slight link to author-author. 
Um, and I think it might be fun to do that one and then maybe round back around to like Pathfinder, which is another Barclay episode in Voyager, but kind of has oh, yeah. a link. The two are kind of linked in, in their theme. So um, let's do that for next week, dear listener. Let's watch Hollow Pursuits and uh, we'll re- recap it next weekend. It's going to be right. a fun one. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, with that, thank you, Emily, and thank you, Rudy, for being here today. As always, I always appreciate uh, talking Star Trek for an hour with you. And uh, whether it's Enterprise, TNG, DS9, you know, um, it's it's always a good time. It is. Thanks so much, Natch. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Dinah. Thanks, Max, wherever y'all are and whatever y'all are doing. Uh, thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. And a special thanks to those people that Vic Fontaine was sitting at the table with when Ezri walked in. Vic just got up and started talking to her. They were they were like, hey, Vic, what the hell, man? We were having a conversation. No, they were like, yeah, this is just a hollow program and we've got to get interrupted by the humans all the time. It's okay. No problem. Uh, humans are the most important thing in this hollow program. So just, just, just some special appreciation to those four dudes sitting with Vic at the table. All right, everybody. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.